Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. We are kinda sorta back for episode 125 as technical problems leave Graham McMillan and I with little choice but to offer up a scant 55 minutes of podcasting frippery. While we do get a chance to discuss three glorious issues of Commandy by Jack Kirby and the free digital comic Bad Dog by Graham Chaffee, most of our uncomfortably foreshortened time is spent on other media. The fourth season of Rusty Development, another visit to the Man of Steel trailer, and some hearty, hearty talk about the Fast and the Furious 6. Show notes for this wee episode are available over at SavageCritic.com, where we always welcome your comments and questions. Um, also feel free to email us at waitwhatpodcast@gmail.com. We're looking into technical solutions to avoid this happening in our future podcasts. And as always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeffrey Bartholomew Lester. Graham McMillan, have you lost your mind? Yes, yes I have. How are you doing? I'm okay, how about yourself? Uh, I've lost my mind. Yeah, I sort of thought so. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> Wait, what am I talking about? I've lost my mind. You turned around and asked for questions on Twitter. <laughs> no, I didn't ask for questions. I asked for topics. And then I said we might not talk about any of them. Come on! Oh my god, you are insane! <laughs> lost your mind we've got like questions going back from last year and you're like hey everybody i was like no i even i even made list of things for us to talk about listy things oh my god oh jack did you i did i did graham adorable so there's two things i want to say first of all that really is adorable and i want to hear your list and secondly when you were uh, at i would say fool uh, hyperbole just there when, when you were at full level of shock uh, for some reason, the Skype connection decided to make it sound like you were raining. <laughs> that you were raining. For some reason, it sounds like your voice was coming in and out, like raindrops. It was very poetic, and I'm really sad that no one who listens to this is going to get that full experience. Listeners, when listening to this, just imagine that Jeff is a, a cloud by himself, and his words are raindrops falling down onto you. Yes. Also, another thing to imagine is if you want to score acid from one of us, do not do it from me. <laughs> imagine <laughs> that you need to get it from Graham, because... It was... It, I have no idea what happened to the connection, but really, all of a sudden, it was It was like you're talking. And say you were saying, like, why did you say that, Graham? It came across as, why did you say that, Graham? Why did you say that? Why did you say that? It was spectacular. If only you could that on purpose. Indeed, if only I could. So in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, Graham McMillan has lost his mind! Um, I'm really going to have to edit that. That's going to come across way too loud. So, uh, no, seriously, mind losing aside, how are you, sir? Good? I'm good. I'm I'm in a remarkably good mood today, which might be why I was like, hey, people, what do you want us to talk about? Um, but yeah, I, I have no idea why I'm in such a good mood, but I, am. I, I, I might put it down to the fact that I am currently mainlining the West Wing. Oh, yes. I said, like, you know, hey, you've got 10 minutes. What do you want to do? Why don't I watch 10 minutes of the West Wing? God knows why. God knows why I'm currently, like, the West Wing is my crack. But it is. Mm -hmm. I'm unstoppable with the West Wing. What season are you up to on it? Season six. I'm Mm -hmm. on the season that I had, A, previously never seen, and B, had always assumed it was terrible because it's the one where everything changes. And I'm loving it. Really? Yeah, I'm really, really liking it. Well, now that does follow the the 
season without Sorkin where they tried to keep it's things the, second, the same? Yeah, it's the second season without Sorkin. Right. And it is the one where basically they write almost all of the cast out of the West Wing itself. Mm. Uh, because they either go off to run different campaigns, uh, Leo has a heart attack and gets forced out of his job. Mm. But at this point, I'm about midway through, at this point, the only characters who actually work in the West Wing now who started off the show mm-hmm. are Jay and Toby. That's it. Hmm. Everyone else is somewhere else. Huh. Interesting. And it, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Leo is the chief of staff. He has a heart attack. Who's going to replace him? The press secretary, of course. But who's going to replace the press secretary? The chief speechwriter. <laughs> you know, all of those things make complete sense. But it's totally enjoyable. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's uh, that's fascinating. I I feel like that. Um, uh, I feel like that should be uh, such a fine segue to talk about the fourth season of Arrested Development on Netflix. Actually, well, <clears throat> on Netflix, and I did take a break to watch a couple of episodes of the new season of Arrested Development, and very quickly scurried back to the West Wing because I disliked them so strongly. Yes, but now let me ask you, I for some reason, because I, I thought this would be a, a interesting topic to talk about, except I sort of assumed that A, you didn't really ever like Arrested Development in the first place. Uh, I didn't really watch it when it was on, but I actually ironically caught up with it on Netflix when it was done. Uh-huh. Uh, so I've seen them all. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not true. I've not seen all of the fourth season. Um... But I, it just, it didn't, not only did it not click for me, and I've seen a lot of reviews that are like, yeah, the first episodes of the weakest, and it's all a long game, and you should watch all 15 episodes, but I really have a problem with that thinking, mm-hmm. uh, and I have a real problem with the way that he's basically, they've basically made the episodes like the TV show, mm-hmm. so that you have the, the you have ad breaks, mm. which oh, yeah. frustrated me, you know, that that sort of thing, the the, the beeping of the, of the profanity. Mm-hmm. Annoyed mm-hmm. me like the whole, it really. I got actually irritated with the first episode, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I, I also just wasn't funny. Right. Well, okay. So let me. But so, but let me let me work you into that little corner a little tighter. So you watched the first three seasons of Rested and Development and in and enjoyed them. I assume since you got to the end of the third season, yes. right? Yes. Okay. I just just wanted to clarify there. What about you? Well, let me tell you. In theory, I am a larger Arrested Development fan uh, than you are in the sense that um, I think, you know, let's not talk about the fourth season at the moment. Until that came out, I had seen pretty much every, uh, every season of Arrested Development at least twice. And frankly, I think I saw the first two seasons like maybe three times. And then the third season was the one where I was like, oh, I'm just going to have a real tough time revisiting it because I didn't enjoy it very much the first time I watched it. And when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, no, it was fine. It actually holds up really well on on, um, rewatching. And the third season, as you know, is is a bit of a split because I've got that extended arc with Charlize Theron and Little Britain, um, which I remember just working abominably. Uh, the first time I watched it, and then the second time through, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is actually, this is actually pretty good." And then the rest of the season three, which I thought of as the quote-unquote real season of season, you know, the rest of the season of uh, Arrested Development, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this stuff is all perfectly great," with the exception of 
the very last episode of season three was this weird moment where I was like, oh, okay. They kind of like, I had this, this real like, okay, they're getting out of there just in time, basically. So my, my thing is, is before I talk about season four, the other thing to keep in mind is, do you remember the episode? I think in season two, uh, with Martin Short as the Jack LaLanne character in the wheelchair, who basically yeah, yeah. they yeah, that episode uh, and I I think might be relatively divisive in Arrested Development fandom, but it is very much like kind of if we were calling them after Seinfeld episodes, it would be oh no wait maybe it's I take it back after Friends episodes, it would be the one where they went too far, you know, because. Because <laughs> it really was the episode where they they pushed all of their tropes, which it wasn't the tropes. They actually pushed the characters right into the realm of where they were openly unlikable, where people actually moved into the realm of moving, acting from a self-interest that, that actually felt kind of creepy and nasty, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of glad that they had moved back from that. Um and then and now I'm very curious what you think of the first season there. Right. So, and then I felt a little bit of that again at the very last episode of season three because you've got a whole bunch of stuff, not least of which is this very weird, you know, turn that 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 feels like something out of a gothic melodrama, you know, in the sense of one of the characters realizes that they are adopted, um, proceeds to. Uh, you know, say that they're in love with one of the other characters and then that they were previously related to and then gets hit on by yet another character that they were previously related to until about, you know, six minutes ago, showtime, you know? And so I was really like, ugh, that's bleh. You know, they had done such a fine job making all these character characters, like, I don't know how to describe it, almost in the same way that um, there's like that separation of the American office and the British office, like Arrested Development actually felt to me like an amazing American hybrid of British sitcoms, but like sort of cross-pollinated with kind of the best of American sitcoms. So you just had this amazing crystalline structure and, of course, some really funny situations that came out of pure bastardness, and yet you still sort of like the characters, right? Yeah. So... As Although I, imagine, I would point out, I think if Brit- British sitcoms, you like the characters as well. Mm. If, yeah, if, that, if that's what you're, that's where your American sitcom. Because it felt like what you're saying is you've got the bastardness of the British sitcom, but like American sitcom characters, you like them. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm, I am already putting my hand up and being like Jeff Lester. No, there's likable characters in British sitcoms. Well, yes, yes. Now let me let me say that I did part of it was I did bring in the British Office specifically for a reason. I suppose because I think the the British Office is one of those where the unlikability of a lot of those characters uh, for most of the show is I think something that seemed relatively notable. I think for both American and British audiences, right? Yes. So. Um, but although I admit that there's sort of a degree at which, let's just say that I feel like the British sitcoms are more comfortable making their characters go into uncomfortable, uncomfortable yeah, uh, yeah, far much farther and uncomfortable and and potentially unlikable situations than American characters. So, 
So Arrested Development, the fourth season, really was for me. It was kind. It was really kind of like a nightmare. I really finished it, kind of feeling emotionally bludgeoned. Like, oh, did you watch the whole thing? Did you watch all fifteen? We did. We did. We watched all fifteen over the course of from like Sunday through. I think I want to say I wrapped it up on. Tuesday? I think we wrapped it up on Tuesday. And it helps, actually, that I was um, out sick from my job. So there were a couple of, you know, there was an afternoon there where <clears throat> where I should have been at work. Katie and I were kind of like, well, let's just keep, you know, burning through these. Um, so there's a lot in it that is actually kind of brilliant, both comedically and in terms of, like, the critics that are getting the most leeway from me are the critics that are able to make some noises, not in sort of a, like, hey, this is potentially the birth of a new art form or a new evolution of the medium. And unlike, you know, unlike the evolutions that we're used to talking about where, like, you know, <laughs> you've got wings or you can hang upside down by your feet, it's actually just kind of ugly and gross. I don't know. Like, Really? What, so what is the what is the evolution you see? Because I, I definitely, in terms of format, I didn't see a new evolution at all, which well, was part, partly why I was so disappointed by it. Well, you know, he did have those breaks. Um, as you know, for where the commercials should go. But, of course, he ran much longer, you know, over 20 minutes, like 30, 35 minutes, which it could be argued, and, and I would probably be one of the people that argued it, did not serve the show well at all. But, like, things like the bleeped-in swearing, I, of course, actually thought was fantastic because that was among the funniest things that Arrested Development did really well, I thought. Um but I guess the evolution of it is just more in the idea of um, there, became, there, there were lots of moments where scenes played out much longer than you thought that they would and started to become their own kind of quasi-weird things. And I don't think that that's... I think we're, you know, we're at least even a little weirdly uncomfortable with that in in the context of when it happens in a movie, in a movie theater. You know, I remember a lot of people being kind of knocked out when Jim Jarmusch kind of came on the scene and was like, and suddenly we were getting much, much longer, weirder takes than we were used to seeing, or um, stuff that uh, Alex Cox picked up uh, inspired by that that Mexican filmmaker in some cases, uh, Arturo Ripstein, I want to say. And I'm sure there's okay. there's a lot of others that people would say, but watching it like in the framework of a TV sitcom, it really kind of broke my mind. There were points where the where the things would go, and a lot of times I felt like Hurwitz was doing it in a way to do that classic like, oh, I'm going to drag this scene on so long it goes from not funny to really funny to sort of. You know, basically, and then back to not funny again. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that was the problem. But I think he was he was shooting for sideshow Bob with a rake like length. You know what I mean? What What's really interesting about that for me is uh, one of the things that did when I was back in Scotland uh, a couple of weeks ago, I picked up a book on Chris Morris. Did I talk about this last week? No, no. Which is yeah, Chris Morris being the comedian who did the day to day uh, and on the hour and brass eye and jam. Right, who you've UK. talked about here very frequently. Yeah, who, on the who I who is one of my touchstones in terms of comedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and reading the book, it, it's it's essentially a biography. Mm-hmm. Reading the book, it reminded me that I'd completely forgotten about Jam and Blue Jam, mm. which is what he did after he did Brass Eye. What after he he'd done the he'd sort of run the I am a newscaster, going too far into the ground, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so Jam and Blue Jam were his attempts to do a sketch show, mm-hmm. but. But it reminded me of what you were saying there, just there. His sketches would go on too long, mm-hmm. and they'd start in the wrong place, mm-hmm. and they'd end in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have that very weird dis- disconnect of, is this funny? Like, is right? Is is the comedy over? I I don't like. I'm I'm as a viewer, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about any of this. Like, I'm feeling very uncomfortable because I feel like I shouldn't be watching this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I feel that. That's. I feel like you're talking about that in a weird way. Yeah, I think so. I, it, but I don't think he. I don't think Hurwitz went anywhere near far enough with it. Because for me, it just felt like the the episodes I saw. Just, I just continually was like, they should have cut this. Right. Do you know? I I didn't get a. He's playing with the form. I got a. They honestly could have cut ten minutes out of this, and it would have been a better episode. Right. Well, and this is the thing that I think is kind of crazy. I mean, I think. You know, for me, despite what anyone else might say, um, once her wit went from saying these episodes can be watched in any order to no, I was mistaken. You have to watch them in sequential order. I, I basically I knew we were fucked, you know, I mean, because I just don't think that you can build something so radically different from one way and then reconvert it, you know. So a lot, a lot of what was fascinating to me on Arrested Development is because he went for this huge audacious format, failed, and then tried to retrofit it. It's, I mean, it's so clunky. I mean, it's terrible. And the thing that's interesting is, is that, you know, the ori- uh, the original Arrested Development is such a masterpiece of clockwork timing. Like at its best, it's stunning. And to watch that completely fall apart, you know, it's it's funny to have. To have someone do that whole... It's its almost like an extended Hollywood joke on the concept of the sequel, where it's like, okay, you take everything from the first movie and then you invert it. And Arrested Development, the fourth season, is that taken to this absurd extreme, where it's like, okay, instead of like one episode with nine storylines, we're going to have 15 episodes with one story. One storyline. Yeah, yeah, you know, and at every point, it's like, and instead of having it like totally broken down to the minute for 20 minutes, we're going to run into... 35 minutes, you know, and it's just really, there were, there was so many ways in which, you know, it kind of reminded me of fanfic, I think, also in a way, you know, because when somebody has the canvas of fan fiction, the things that you do kind of like, you're like, hey, like everything always ends up too bloated and, you know, all the characters suddenly don't quite seem in character anymore. And usually there's some huge big sweeping thing that you're trying to do with the characters that have never been attempted before. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's this idea of having all this freedom, um, and it just, I really feel like it killed the season. Like, the fourth season of Arrested Development is a huge, huge, such a colossal misfire in so many ways. Well, what know? was really interesting is I, I did bail on it after, like, two or three episodes. I can't yeah. even remember now. I want to say two, but I, it might be, like, two and a half. I can't remember. Right. Um... And then I saw these reviews, and they're like, oh, the first episodes are terrible. But round about episode nine, it really turns around. <laughs> and I had this whole thing of, well, maybe I should watch all of them. Right. Then I had this 
sort of follow-up of why right yeah. if it takes more than half the season to get good and then it ends with a setup for a movie that may or may not happen yeah I was like, this is, that's ridiculous. Oh, and it's even... That, that is so amazingly indulgent. Yeah. Well, how do I put it? I think what he was trying... I can sort of see what he was trying for, and there's ways in which I don't... Well, how do I put it? Like, okay, well, first off, let let me answer a few of those. On the one hand, yes, I believe that the series does have points where it spikes dramatically. Um, although I'm one of the people who weirdly thought parts of the first, the very first episode of the fourth season, just as like a strange, almost Bernard Malamud short story, uh, was kind of awesome. Or Saul Bellow, actually. It actually reminded me a lot of uh, Seize the Day, frankly. But, but, but by the time you get to the fourth episode or fifth episode, you're kind of like, oh, okay. This is going to be this is going to be good. There's this there's an episode in there that I think might be called Colony Collapse that is pretty close to brilliant. And then again around eighth or ninth episode, there's an episode where everything clicks together and is is really good. And all throughout, there's sequences that I think are really funny and really well done. Um, but it absolutely is not forgivable to the for the bloat and to me by the end of the season the quote-unquote season i was almost actively angry because it like that high like what people saying are like oh it picks up like i don't think it really does it spikes in a few places and then goes back to being kind of um you know not good with patches of absolute brilliance i mean stuff that really is incredibly brilliant but um but I, you know, part of why I was approaching this was kind of the idea of, like, when I walked away from it, the part that I felt like uh, more than anything had really gone wrong was this idea that um, that, that the um, that the characters had been taken into places where they were just awful, awful, terrible people. Oh, I should mention, yeah, in fact, for, for the Savage Critic podcast, people... Um, there's a some really stellar Fantastic Four shoutouts in there. Not good enough to make I, I think to make Graham watch the series, not even close. But uh but some of the Fantastic Four stuff that comes along is um is I, I'll end up watching the series hilarious. when I'm done with the West Wing, Jeff. Like uh, I, I just will. I can right. tell. Yeah. Well see and those so this is it. I kinda had this weird thing of like, hmm, you know, like maybe I'll ask Graham, like, do you do you think that uh well you do you think that if there was like do you think this could ever work? Is I guess what I'm willing to. What to What say. is this? This being giving a creator full freedom to come back to one of well, and maybe not full because Hurwitz was very open about his constrictions and, and constraints in creating this, but um, to give the a creator the ability to come back to a show and and basically relaunch it. You know, sure. Why not? Why Why couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because it hasn't in this case doesn't mean that it can't. Right. But don't and you? I'd, bizarrely, yes. I'd I'd almost say that um, Futurama proves that you can. Oh, interesting. I think when Futurama came back on Comedy Central, it was as good, if not better, than it was. Yeah, but okay. This is what I mean in mutated form, I suppose. Like, like because Netflix, like you oh, can you, go you mean, thirty-five you mean, minutes. Yeah. You, you mean know literally what I mean? the. 
any episode, as many episodes as you need. Right. However long the episodes are, or however long. Yeah. You don't have to have ad breaks. Um, I, yeah, sure. I, it could be. I, I, I don't see, I, I, I find the idea that because Mitch Horowitz couldn't do it, therefore it can't be done, ridiculous. Right. Put it that way. Okay. And so I don't see why not other than someone's tried it and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you could also point to Serenity as this follow-up to Firefly, and that's another example of it not working. Right. Uh, In that I, weird financial, unfinancial kind of way. Well, but also I'm not really sure. I think... Uh, as a, I think on a, not even necessarily a story level, I find Serenity, aside from its commercial success or lack thereof, mm-hmm. I find it to be a failure as a follow up to Firefly. Interesting. I, I find that it does not have what I liked about Firefly, mm-hmm. uh, because it instead gets too wrapped up in the we are telling an epic story. I will prove it is epic by killing off the characters. <laughs> Whereas for me, what I enjoyed about Firefly was the humor and the, the camaraderie and I don't think that's there. I, f- I feel that the the attractive uh, normalcy, I guess, of Firefly mm-hmm. is, is sacrificed in favor of the epic scope mm-hmm. of Serenity. Interesting. Uh, and I, I think that's a danger. I think the danger in giving a creator punch is that they, they, they follow their bliss mm-hmm. and, and in doing so if they have a balance. For example, I think Arrested Development was a balance as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, well, I can follow my, you know, I would, now I have no chains. I can do whatever I want. And they go towards this one idea. Mm-hmm. And if you're sure if your creation is an alchemy of your great idea and the constraints placed upon you and the constraints are what makes it wonderful, mm-hmm. then then you end up with this thing that maybe you're your platonic ideal of greatness, but does not have the appeal that the the compromise version did. Right, right. And so, I think it could work. Uh, mm-hmm. I, for example, I'd love to see uh, Brian Fuller do a revival of Commission Daisies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, but I, he, that could be just as bad. You know, that could get, if anything, even more twee. Right, right. You know. Right. Uh, so I I don't know I I I do not. Rest development is enough to damn the concept altogether. Sure. And but I, I also could not say of course it could work because who knows. <laughs> right. You are perhaps taking the sensible non-zealot way, which is sort of. Did- Why are you are you? Rest development can't do it. It can't be done. No 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 not at all not at all. I it it was kind of more this idea of like I I you know. I was trying to figure out a proper way to sort of be like, well, you know, is it a monkey's paw? Where it's like, hey, Graham, would you like, would you want Sorkin to come back and do like another season of The West Wing on Netflix? Or, you know. <laughs> would I like Sorkin to come back and do another season? No, but that's because I don't like what Sorkin became, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel Sorkin as well got really indulgent. And I think I think that's just a danger of creators. I don't think that's necessarily a TV thing or a, there are no constraints thing as much as uh, creative people have the tendency to fo- to follow their muse. Right. And I think in many cases that leads to uh, becoming more and more narrow in their, their vision and their, their influence. Right. Uh, and their output. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, there's always that danger. Uh, but... 
there are lots of shows, there are lots of, of movies, there are lots of comics where I would be really curious to see people return to it. David Lynch returning to Twin Peaks? Sure, I definitely tune into that. That's really funny because I almost found myself, that was the point with West Wing, uh, West Wing, there was a point in Arrested Development where I was like, wow, okay, well this really does make a compelling argument for why I should be glad that David Lynch is not going to come back and do Twin Peaks. I mean, of course I would like watch it in a heartbeat, but it really does have that idea of like, oh yeah, 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 be really, really careful. Oh, but I see, I, I, I'd kind of love that because I feel that Twin Peaks was so amazingly indulgent in the first place. Mm. I mean, I think if you've watched Twin Peaks Firewalk with me... Well, see, there I, you go. I, I feel like you've that. already seen it, yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's like, if you made it through that, I'm sure that anything David Lynch could come up with now would be preferable. Yeah. Because well, Firewalk with me is a... Uh, oh, God. It's, it's a... Uh, I'm going to burn my eyes out. I am retroactively stupid forever liking Twin Peaks thing. Oh, really? That's very interesting to me. Oh, God. I remember... I, I, I've not seen it for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching Firewalk with me for the first time and being like, it's like a, it's like meeting an ex-girlfriend and thinking, <laughs> what the hell did we see in each other? Right, 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 right. Or, you know, actually, it's really funny because I, I totally get that. But I, I think for me, it's kind of the... Um, it's like you meeting your ex-girlfriend and like she finally got weird got rid of that flip haircut, you know, that she used to do that she always had and she's like, "Oh, I hated that thing so much. I'm so much happier with this perm." And you realize like the flip haircut was the only thing you really was what you liked the most about her. You know what I mean? Or like let's change it to like a stammer or something like that. There are, I think there are times where and I got the I I, I have to say, I feel that we've just like gotten into really bizarre fetishes with Jeff Lester just here. I'm like the stammer. <laughs> well, yeah, come on. There's nothing cuter than a stammering girl, Graham. Come on. I'm, I'm just I'm picking something obvious, you know. Um, yeah. No, I. I uh, uh, yeah, I think you've stumped me here. Um, no, 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 no. Well, I mean, I, I I guess what I'm saying is is that there are the thing the things that we love about shows or characters or things aren't necessarily the things that creators love about shows yeah, exactly. or whatever. And yeah. I think that's very that's very common, you know? It's um, funny you said Monkey Paw because I was actually reading uh, Joss Whedon appeared somewhere uh, and was asked about doing uh, Firefly again. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much said no because of fear of it being a Monkey Paw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Huh. That's very funny. Um, yeah, I... <laughs> But I'm sure he's right. On the other hand, what a smart thing to say right now. You know what I mean? Like, really, you're just like, you're on top of the world. You want to go back to, you know, the thing that pretty much, like, knocked you out twice out of the running? It's no, like... but bear in mind, like, he's also done Buffy. He returned to Buffy in terms of the comics. And I think the first, yeah, like, season eight mm-hmm. is is a great example of not only failing to recapture the magic, but almost destroying the magic in the process. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, sort of that misunderstanding. That's actually a great one, because I remember writing an essay for, for this Savage Critic at the time, where it was everything that, that Whedon was looking at for, like, ah, finally, I've got the freedom to go, you know, basically to have his, an infinite budget, uh, ended up destroying what actual, you know, he 
what actually worked so well from Buffy was the fact that he had such a limited budget that people had to hang out on like one set and talk to each other for 20 minutes. Yeah, and, and what's really interesting is seeing where he went with season 9 after that. Right, right. You know, where basically it is all of a sudden, hey, mm-hmm. everything's mundane again. Let's, <laughs> let's really get the scale right back down. Right, exactly. You know, it's the part of him was like, oh, that's right. Unlimited budget sucks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because we, we can't all be Jack Kirby as much as we want. Um, so, which, oh my God, I have to say, right before we talked, like, right before we talked, I, I read... I saw your tweet uh, from Commandy about the internet, which is the image you have to put up at savagecritic.com when this episode goes live. Do you think... Well, okay. I will see. I will see. Because, of course, I'm sort of... Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that off air. But uh, but yeah no I love that uh, that I I somehow totally fucking forgot that there's this amazing issues I think because I was so impressed with like the evil killer whale but people if you have if you have a digital reader that allows you to read comics for a buck ninety nine you can get two issues of Commandy in which Commandy basically befriends uh, this. Uh, well, basically, a dolphin that is being carried around as a canister on top of a warrior's back against the radiated, the irradiated great wastes that are off Lake Michigan, and then you know, in the process of fighting off like a brutal horde of of terrifying primal men, uh, ends up being taken into an amazing undersea city dolphin complex and basically being hit on by a female dolphin like i i really do like for people who people who just love the insane and absurd and then eventually it ends up with commandy having to um fight the red baron but on water skis and and people sometimes say to us why do you like 1970s jack kirby i know that that sentence right there yes i know exactly i'm like this stuff is far more insane like if you were describing that to somebody and saying that it was adventures brothers episode people would be like okay i've got to see it you know but it's like you talk about it in, a, in the commandy book and it's like and the weird part is i remember reading this and rereading this and the first couple of times i'm like eh, i thought they were kind of low points you know what i mean in commandy and now i'm like holy shit this is fucking fantastic you know I've, I've told you before my theory that the demon is the greatest Venture Brothers setup never used, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Just because you have Randu talking about his super ESP at yeah. every opportunity. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I, I swear to God, if I could write any... Like, DC came to me and they are like, okay, we're going to throw you... Like, shitloads of money, you can write any DC comic you want in your world. Right. First of all, I'd probably be like, okay, Superman. But if not Superman, <laughs> I really want to do the demon just so I could have Randu repeatedly talk about his super ESP. You know, it would be fucking phenomenal to do the demon as, like, just a flat-out Venture Brothers concept. It would be kind of great. I mean, it's sort of sacrilegious, because I, I love the demon for everything that it is in its weird way, but that would be that would be phenomenal, Graham. I'm like, oh, right, there's so much weird shit in it that it really does seem like just a classic, um, just straight-up crazy-ass um, Cartoon Network Adult Swim show, you know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so um, yeah, Commandy, <laughs> it is amazing, people. Seriously, you can get them. They're up to issue twenty-four now. They're ninety-nine cents a pop. 
I almost recommend that, don't that start at the so beginning. Good. Yeah, just just start somewhere in the middle because oh, there, but, there, but there's be some great stuff in the beginning as well with Ben Boxer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, no, no mm-hmm. I really if you ever read Commands before, uh, you should. If it's ninety nine cents, yeah, then yeah. If you have a comic solitary account, you've never read Commandy before. You should probably pick up some of Commandy because it's really, really great stuff. Yeah, it's it really is just astonishing. Oh, and Graham McMillan, I should mention to you um, before I forget because you do have a Comicsology account. Uh, the and maybe you already know this, but um, Good Dog, the graphic novel that came out from Fanographics by I want to say Graham Chaffee. Does that sound right? Yes, it does sound right, and it sounds very familiar. Um, well, I wanted to point out that uh, he, for, for whatever reason, um, bless his heart, uh, he did a 28-page, sorry, a 26-page free quote-unquote mini-comic called Bad Dog that is oh my God. that you can pick up on um, Comixology absolutely free. It's black and white, and it's about the adventures of this dog that manages to get off his leash and get out of his yard. It, all wordless and fantastically okay, just, just, drawn. Okay, just tell me right now, am I going to be heartbroken? You know me and dogs, Jeff. Mm. If anything bad happens to that dog, I can't read that comic. If anything bad happens to that dog. <laughs> no, you will be fine. You okay, because you know, you know that, like, people who create comics or movies or television, if there's one way you want to get me to be A, horrifically engaged in your story, and B, like, an emotional mess, have a cute dog, and at some point put that dog in danger, I will go to fucking <laughs> It's so sad. I, it, it really is. I will just, I, I yeah. Seriously, just a cute little dog, and you know, playful and everything. And all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh no, he's fallen into the well!" I swear to God, I'll be like, "Oh Jesus, I hope he gets out." He's in a well. Oh, but he can't. He can't hold onto the rope. He's a dog. He's not got thumbs. Oh shit! Oh God, he's probably thirsty. Oh God, no! Oh, did, did he have kibbles? Oh God! <laughs> It will be a disaster. It, it's it's what happens if you own dogs, I think. I think if you own dogs, you just become this irrational... Radical anti-dog agenda has stopped. <laughs> apparently, apparently, it got to the point where I was just going to mention my new upcoming mini comic, Dog in a Well, and suddenly, oh my god, Dog in a Well, Jeff, I would go to fucking pieces. I would be like, I want to support you, but I can't buy it because you're telling me right there that at some point I'm going to become a blubbering mass. <laughs> Of muscle and tears. That's all I'd be. I'd just be a blubbering mass of muscles and tears. 
That's a lovely description, I have what, to say. What's particularly funny is, so after I said that, I had a coughing fit, so I put the microphone on mute, and then I was like, did I cut Jeff off? No, I just put the microphone on mute. How did I do that? What's so funny, because, yeah, I guess you did go on mute, and then I looked down, and it told me Skype was, like, connecting, and I'm like, fuck, it dropped the connection. And then you came back. I'm starting to think, actually, Graham, you should never mute your microphone. That's I put my microphone so much during recording of these podcasts. Really? Yeah. I hate you so much. Okay, well, so much for that. Otherwise, otherwise, you'd have to deal with me coughing a lot. I still have this thing in my throat. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, okay, well, yes. So, Bad Dog. I totally recommend it. Free comic, Comixology, 26 pages, Graham Chaffee, black and white, charming. Very charming. The dog, I do not think, gets in anything uh, it's worse than uh, spoiler Jughead may get into in an average Jughead comic. Oh so. god, he's gonna eat too many sandwiches! No! <laughs> oh, while we're talking about art, uh, this is for Chris Sims, Josie and the Pussycats. Thank you, Chris. That is lovely. My <laughs> goodness. Did you see him on Twitter say that he like say that he was very happy that I said the words Josie and the Pussycats? In your accent, yeah, absolutely. It's true. I think actually it would be great. Like if we ever decide to Kickstarter this program, I think one of the one of the reward levels is is that people get to give a list of words that you get to say on the podcast. Oh, God. Wouldn't that be great? Like, a number of phrases. What would like... be horrible is they just throw in words I don't know how to say. I was reading to Kate this morning. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if I told you this before, but The Guardian has a thing every Thursday called How to Make the Perfect, and it's a recipe. Mm-hmm. And it's How to Make the Perfect Pad Thai this week. Mm-hmm. And they're referencing lots of... Uh, Thai chefs who mm-hmm. have come up with variations and I swear to god I was butchering their names left right and center to the point where eventually I was just giving the first initial and being like I can't say this it starts with a T I, I can't. it's got like 22 letters in it I can't even attempt to begin this word yeah yeah well that's fine I mean I think we would have to make sure that it couldn't be like swears it couldn't be inflammatory phrases I would and apparently not Thai names would you say swears well, I, I think I would... swears all the time. Well, you say, well, no, 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 no. I love the fact that you're calling them swears. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like I should like put a dollar in the jar just for as like, oh, hold on. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, no swear, no. How do I put it? No, perf- no phrases that you would find obscene or objectionable. Yeah, no objectionable I, I, phrases. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Okay, that that's true. Hey, people. Uh, if you re- if you listen to us via the Savage Critic uh, website, which is savagecritic.com, um, leave notes in the comments of words you want me to say, and I will try and work them into the next podcast. Oh, that'll be great. You'll be like, well, Jeff, if, it's been a very... That's, that's really a thing. Mollifluous <laughs> week. Yeah. Exactly. That would be great. This could really, this could really change everything. Um, <laughs> so speaking hey, of... Yes. So Jeff. Yes, Graham. Um... We have already talked about one of the things that people ask us to talk about on Twitter. So we've done okay. So we've done Arrested Development. Uh, I have not seen Fast and Furious Six. Have you? Yes. Oh, so Jeff, talk about Fast and Furious Six. Fast and Furious Six. This is also for anyone who thought that I was an idiot for hating fourth season of Arrested Development. You're going to hate me more uh, for loving okay, Fast and the Furious Six. Everyone loved Fast and Furious Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did you wait? You didn't see it, or you haven't have seen it? it. I, I haven't. I haven't seen anything past Fast and Furious 2, I don't think. Oh, see, I saw one and then came back for 5 because the, the last year or two years ago because the trailers for 5 really made it look like 
the greatest movie ever, and it was great. And Fast and the Furious 6, while it does not quite measure up quite to the same, like, sweet spot that Fast and the Furious 5 is, and it's a hell of a good sweet spot, Fast and the Furious 6, I have to say, is was great. I definitely better... Like, I don't know, it's this weird thing of, like, better. Like, because I, I walked out of it going, like, you know, it had... Um, uh, you know, it's a, an interesting comparison to Star Trek Into Darkness, because you know how kind of like we were saying the thing about how Star Trek Into Darkness, the set pieces are great and the acting's good, but everything about the rest of the movie is terrible? Like, Fast and the Furious 6, you can't even really say the acting is that great, you know? Well, I, you don't go to the Fast and Furious to see the acting. We'll Come see. And also, the... look at who's in the film. Yes. The acting was never going to be great. Well, see, there you go. Although, I have to say, there's a sequence between Vin Diesel and um, Michelle Rodriguez that, like, is kind of weirdly, like, sort of like a scene, of, like, vertigo for chuckleheads almost. Um, and they're effective in what they do. I mean, I think that's the thing about Fast and the Furious 6 that actually is kind of great, is they continue... They're like... It's the most successful comic book movie, I think. Um, that's that, never been a comic book? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's got... By this point, by the one of the things I adored walking into the fifth movie is all these characters from all the other movies. Like, it's just accumulated into this mass, and they stick it all together... And it totally works. And it's the same way in Fast and the Furious 6. It's like, Gina Carano, can she act? No. But can she punch the shit out of something? Yes. Let's give her some scenes where she's punching the shit out of things. It's great. It's great. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed Fast and the Furious 6. Not up to five standards, but they are complete idiots if they try to make another movie without Justin Lim, though. The, the the direction on that is just phenomenal. Like, I think if you saw it, Graham, you'd be really... Like, first off, you should definitely see 5, because 5 is just a completely, like... Like, it's just so well done, you know? I mean, and the thing is, is, of course, it's just a cheese pizza, you know what I mean? But it is such a good... And it's not even an artisanal cheese pizza. It's just a... A really it's a Domino's amazing... pizza is what you're saying. Yeah, it's kind of like the world's best Domino's pizza, where you're just like, I cannot believe that, that you know. So think about everything that it would take to make a good Domino's pizza, or, or to make you enjoy a Domino's pizza. Like, those motherfuckers had to go through some hoops, you know. And yeah, this is like good. Like, I was like, oh man, like, I'm actually glad to see Ludacris back on the screen again. I can't believe that would ever happen, you know. So it's it's... It was a good film. It was really, really enjoyable. I didn't think that I would dig it, considering they didn't really have, like, I, whoever the bad guy was, I was just like, you know, like, it's great. Like, I swear to God, the, the guy who's doing, who's the bad guy there, he basically is, um, it's, he could have easily have been cast to do, like, Snidely Whiplash in, like, a 2013 but, version but of the Wacky be... Racers, which this kind of is, you know? But that, as I was going to say, isn't Fast and Furious just Wacky Racers right now? And I say that not as an insult. I think that would make it a spectacular film. Yeah, it, well, it kind of is. It kind of is in the same way of, like, oh, no, did, it wasn't, what, there was sort of an all-star, what, like, wasn't there, like, sort of, I guess it's almost like the Fast and the Furious is a lot like the Laugh Olympics, you know, you get all these, like, really incredibly second-rate characters 
all competing to do something and then and then it suddenly somehow becomes awesome like it really Wait, is was, like wasn't that wacky races well i don't remember wacky races had dastardly and motley and it had right uh penelope pit stop and the anthill mob mm-hmm. it had characters from other cartoons did it oh okay yeah. then that's what i then you're right that is that is totally what this is then sorry so here's what I'm thinking, and like I said, I don't think I've seen past the second one, but I just love the idea of Fast and Furious. It seems so perfect for what it is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's entirely shameless, and it's just like, okay, we're a film about cars and stunts. Let's be the best film about cars and stunts. Exactly, exactly. Which is spectacular. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But the only thing, for my mind, that can make it better is the, the long-awaited... Fast and Furious Transformers crossover. Right. Because that would be fucking amazing. Well, you know, I have to say, like, some of the stuff that I saw in Transformers Dark of the Moon really struck me. Now that you mention that, I'm like, I think there was a Fast and the Furious influence in there. Like, it really No, but was. seriously, imagine Fast and Furious, right? Mm-hmm. Think about Fast and Furious 6, and then imagine a scene where at one point, like, the one where, the bit where they're trying to stop the plane from taking off, or they're trying to bring the plane to the ground that's in the trailer. Right. Imagine if that plane then turned into a giant fucking robot. Yeah, would no. You not just shit your pants with with happiness. Well, I kind of would, but one of the things that's pretty great about Fast and the Furious Six is I pretty much was shitting my pants with happiness and laughter by the time the big Russian airplane sequence comes up. Anyway, so I guess that's it. I think one of the things that's really funny about Fast and the Furious is it is as you pointed out, it it's just it's just cars and stunts, and I mean they do CGI because they definitely have that point where they take things like too far but it is which is which is why it's going to be so good though because well, if yeah. they did realistically you'd be like that's amazing but well, it's when they, they they fake it enough yeah they go from this is great to holy shit oh that that's that's the point well yeah the great thing is is they do cgi basically to to basically make jack kirby physics happen so you're just like what See, you have so. actually just sold me on the film with that <laughs> You really have. You're like, okay, it's a Carson Sons film with Jack Kirby physics. I'm like, yes. <laughs> well, in that case, sold. Yeah. Then you should see it, because seriously, I we enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fifth one. I enjoyed the sixth one. And God help me, I went home and realized, like, I haven't seen two. I haven't seen three. I haven't seen four. Six apparently ties into three. Like it. Like it finally. Like you get it to the end of I six. Do, and I, I guess. Do love that there, there's continuity. I really, I adore that. I love yeah. the, the fact that they're like, this is one of the stupidest films you can ever see, but there is an internal continuity that is actually quite tight. Yeah. I That I love. That they're going to continue. In fact, they spend a ridiculous amounts of time, frankly. Like They're like, Michelle Rodriguez, how did she come back to life? And of course, like everyone else in the theater, you're like, well, who really cares? But they go to great lengths, like, to get, you know, there's all these, like, shout-outs where Paul, you know, where Paul Walker or whatever is like, oh, I'm responsible for this, i got to take care of this. And so there's a whole subplot where he goes undercover, basically goes back into the United States and gets transferred into a high-security prison, and he's got, like, less than 24 hours to talk to the Mexican gang boss who like originally had had Michelle Rodriguez killed and and figure out what happened and it really was I was like huh like there it's that great thing of like how do I put it like they they have that happen for exactly the right reason which is to have not not to explain why things actually happened the way things did, but to actually have someone be hit in the head with a toilet in, like, a prison cell fight, you know what I mean? Like no, but it's, it's, 
I, I've said before that one of the things I love about really early 2000 AD mm-hmm. is that it is just, it is 100% committing to shit. Yes. And that that sounds like exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah They're yeah, like, yeah. you know, okay, Michelle Rodriguez has come back from dead. No one really gives gives a shit, but the characters would give a shit. Right. They Therefore, would. we have to follow it through. Yeah, yeah. We have to follow it through. And how can we do that? No, definitely the movie. Oh, man, the movie has some parts that are like, like uh, one of the things I loved in the in the trailer was the part where they get Vin Diesel like talking, you know, and he's like, because we're about family. And then. What's amazing, I was like, oh, it's kind of nice that they got that one minute to throw in there. It's basically every other minute of the movie. To make sure that you don't miss it, Vin Diesel is talking about how they're in a family in just about every goddamn scene. So, I mean, it could, you could, like, it's like, plot no, point, I, you will I, not I miss this, plot, this thematic point, you know? I, I love that, um, and again, I'm only going off trailers, but the trailer for Fast 6 is... Like, you, you think that Vin Diesel is an alright actor, and then I saw the trailer for the new Riddick film, and I was like, oh, that's right, he's terrible. <laughs> you know, Have he... you seen the trailer for the new Riddick I film? Haven't. I haven't, I haven't. Oh, Jeff, it looks so, it literally, it's one of, it looks like the antithesis, the antithesis, rather, of um, Fast 6, in that it's everything you'd expect from that trailer, right? but it all looks appalling. Right, right. Well, okay. So two things, Graham. Unfortunately, as an official now franchise film head, I have to point out it's known as Furious Six because get this. Oh, is it? The, I... the director wanted it to be so. He the director was saying because it was Fast Five, he wanted it to be Furious Six. Oh my God, that's spectacular! Isn't that great? I mean, oh so God. that's. That... Oh, so wait, does that mean it's going to be Fast Seven and then Furious Eight? I hope so. Is he just going to keep alternating? I oh hope... man, I really hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, so... does Jason Statham show up in the end? He does. He does. Oh, uh, see that—that uh, that again was something that made me like it all the more. And again, the best part is I found that out not because someone told me, because someone tweeted. The guy you most want to see in this film shows up at the end, and I was like, "That's Jason Statham, right? It's got to be Jason Statham." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. One of the things that I do love is the way that instead of doing a, like, uh, both the fifth and this movie both end with um, with literally the equivalent of the way a Marvel comic would end in the 70s. Like, the story wraps up, and then And then a like, character comes in and is like, it's not over yet! Yeah, but, well, just kind of like, you know, sort of that weird, like, epilogue to... Like a strange man walks into the room and then holds up a picture of Michelle Rodriguez, and you know it's kind of like they'll never see what's coming next, you know. And it's exactly <laughs> the same in this one. I swear oh, to God, you are you are selling me in this film so yeah. hard. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now like, you know what? I've still not seen Iron Man, but fuck it. I think I've <laughs> six first. I think if, yeah, I think you should. I think you should because I honestly think like, and I liked Iron Man three, but I think that Fast and the Furious six again is going to be the comic book movie of the summer unless Man of Steel pulls something crazy out of its ass who knows so, well who, who knows indeed I um, I I'm, I think arguably more optimistic about Man of Steel this week we should just have like a countdown up until we the should end. we right. really should have like a chart where I'm, we can like, check okay, in I am now at, um, 72% optimistic so like <laughs> Uh, but it, 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 hilariously, this morning, uh, everyone in Wired was talking about movie trailers for a thing we're doing in the future, right? Right. And I was like, I'm going to look at the movie trailer for Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the first trailer for Superman Returns and the first trailer for Man of Steel, they're almost identical. Mm. 
it's kind of amazing and made me just a little bit more worried about Man of Steel. But then I remembered Man of Steel's new trailers feature Superman punching something, which means it will inherently be better than Superman first. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, I, I think I think people really do want to see Superman punching stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a really basic flaw of Superman Returns, which is a film I actually kind of like. Superman only does one super thing in the film that anyone remembers, which is save the plane. Yes. And Superman should have action sequences, because mm-hmm. Superman is, while he's an inspirational figure, mm-hmm. he's also a character who has to do things that people can't. Yeah, yeah, he actually has to be super heroic. Mm-hmm.